Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. I'm your host. My name is Zach Kroll, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball from now until the end of the Final Four. The road will end there in Atlanta, and we have another very special show for you guys today. It's Wednesday, the midweek episode, and this is just such a great time of year. The Super Bowl, it's going to be coming up this Sunday, meaning that football is going to be over after this week, and that is the time where we get all the way into college basketball, and it's getting very close and close and close to March Madness. I'm looking at bracketology updates every day, trying to see who's going to get in the field, who isn't. I was actually up late last night watching the end of uh, Nevada, New Mexico, just a great game in the Mountain West, Nevada, with basically a buzzer beater to secure the victory there. But you guys know what we're going to be doing today. We're going all around college basketball, breaking down some of our favorite storylines. And I'm not going to be doing it alone as our guest that usually has been coming on on Wednesdays over the course of the last couple weeks is back, and we are very happy to welcome head coach Jamie and Christian back to the show. Coach, what's going on? Happy you're here. Yeah, man. It's great to be back, but I always appreciate our conversations. Absolutely. So, Coach, the first thing that stood out to me from last night's action is I spent a lot of time watching North Carolina taking on Wake Forest, spent a lot of time after that watching Kentucky taking on uh, taking on Arkansas, and both of those teams, in my opinion, they have a little bit in common right now, right? They're both blue bloods, both have a lot of heavy expectations, a lot of people watching, and they're both really struggling right now. And I know you could say Kentucky isn't really struggling. They've actually been playing much better recently compared to how they started the season. But last night, they lost uh, at, uh, at home to Arkansas. This is only their second home loss of the season. And you look at North Carolina, this is now their third loss in a row, losing at Wake Forest last night. And that game was really never particularly close. So, Coach, my first question for you is you've coached teams that have been to the NCAA tournament before. And usually when that happens, the season after... There are some heavy expectations uh, on your plate, no matter who you lose, no matter who you gain. Like, that's kind of this new era of college basketball. And I think what's so interesting about these two teams is there was a reason why they went into this season with people expecting big things from them. And it's not only the fact that they're big names, that they're blue bloods. Like, I know Kentucky lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament to St. Peter's last year, but they were still a number two seed. John Calipari has won a ton throughout his college basketball coaching career. They bring back Oscar Shibway, the reigning national player of the year. And even though they played much better recently, things haven't really been going the way they've expected. In North Carolina, I feel like we've been having the same conversation about them for the entire season. So my first question for you is when you're in a position like that, when 
you might have some expectations on your plate. People are expecting big things from you, but for whatever reason, they're just not going right. Like, how do you keep your team focused? And what is the number one goal or priority that you would set in a locker room going through it, especially during this time of year, the grind? Yeah, you know, I would start with, uh, I think it's really important, the, the pre-planning and how you want to theme your season. Um, you know, I'm a really big fan of looking at the schedule in the summertime as soon as we get it and really going through the schedule and looking at where we want our team to be at. Um, a lot of it, you'll be surprised. You can anticipate a lot of missteps. You can anticipate points where guys will will kind of overlook an opponent. You can anticipate a lot of that. You know, obviously coming off a year where Carolina is one of the best teams in the nation, you know, at the end of the year, they really found their stride at the end of the year. You know, there's going to be a lot of expectation. If you play at Kentucky, you already know there's always going to be a lot of expectation. So it's really a big part of the coaching is about helping people learn how to recover from mistakes and not allowing that pressure to set in. I don't think you should ignore the pressure of being at those places. You sort of choose it because you want to be at your best and play against the very best and you want that expectation. But I do think it's important to be able to label it so people can move on and improve. Um, again, starting in the off season, your whole mental planning and your mindset building for your team starts with looking at that schedule and also knowing the people that you have and how they can handle that. So I would start there. You know, obviously you can't go back and do the work, but that would have been a really important part of our build of building our team for this season is how we build our mindset. Now, if you do that, then this is a great opportunity to just go back to your foundational, to your foundation of the things you were teaching in June, July, and August about how you want to handle pressure, handle opportunity, handle failure. If you didn't do that, um, it is it does become sort of a mind trick where you're trying to figure out where everyone on that roster is, and they could be splattered all around the board of how they are mentally. And so now you have to arm your staff to go out and have conversations. You may have to bring external people inside to kind of calm the anxiety that's within the locker room and just try to get an idea of where everyone is. It's really important to know the hearts, minds of your players through the course of your heart, heart, heart and minds of your players through the course of the year and have a pulse on that. The very best coaches do an amazing job of, of knowing this. And if you don't do a great job in the summertime in preparation, this time is a little scary for you as a head coach. Um, so when I look at their programs, I don't know what the stuff they did in the, in the preseason to build it. Um, if they didn't do much, they're trying to figure it out right now. And that's really dangerous because you're in a competitive environment playing against great teams. It's hard to know where every person is mentally um, to be able to go and achieve. I think that's a really good point. I've heard that from a lot of coaches in the past is kind of just getting to know your players well, especially as you said before the season, because throughout any college basketball season, no matter what team you are, no matter what year it is, you know, especially during this time of year, during conference play, it, it could be some roller coaster rides. You know, you're going to go through the ups, you're going to go through the downs. And I think for me, what's so interesting about North Carolina is we kind of went through this song and dance last year, right? It was Hubert Davis's first year, but this was a team that did have some big expectations considering Caleb Love and RJ Davis and Baycott. Like those are really talented players. And it was so frustrating for me watching North Carolina last year because they would have some moments kind of similar to this one where they'd look really good. And you say, wow, okay, this is the team that we expected to see. 
And they didn't even earn their first quadrant one victory of last season until midway through February. They started playing much better towards the back end. But the reason why I bring this up is especially watching them over the course of this three game losing streak. We're kind of seeing some of the similar things that got them into trouble last year. And when you have guards like Caleb Love and RJ Davis, they've accomplished a lot at the college level. But it seems to me that Caleb Love, especially he he could get a little too shot happy at times and when it comes to Armando Baker, this is a guy that is one of the best big men in college basketball. Literally, everyone labeled this college basketball season of the uh, as the year of the bigs with Chibwe coming back and Baycott and Hunter Dickinson and Trace Jackson Davis. And ironically, it's actually Zach Eady at Purdue, a guy that wasn't on a lot of people's radar that has really elevated himself as that top elite big man in the sport. But when I watch North Carolina sometimes, I just feel like they could forget about Baycott and just how dynamic and good of a player he is. And also Brady Manick, the Oklahoma transfer. Yeah. He was so important uh, to everything they did last year. I referenced this uh, also on Monday's show in their round of 32 game against Baylor. It was such a crazy script. Like they were dominating that game for the first half, first uh, 30 minutes of that game. And Brady Manick, he actually gets ejected on kind of a fishy call. I don't really think he deserved to get ejected. And the whole game changed. The, the game went to overtime and I still don't know how North Carolina found a way to win that game, but it's interesting that we're seeing some similar qualities to what we saw from this UNC team last year that struggled a bit. And they're also missing Manic, who is a big piece And Pete Nance. I'm a fan of his game. Really like what he did at Northwestern, but he shot one of 10 against Duke uh, on Saturday. He hasn't been what, exactly what they expected. Yeah. And how many times last year did Brady Manic bail that offense out into the shot clock, make a three, you know, with zero left when the ball leaves his hand or so like, you know, you know, I, I, it's funny when I was talking to people about people in Carolina in the offseason, I like it to like a, a college quarterback, um, you know, who threw a lot of jump balls in college and he had really good receivers and guys were able to come up with plays and the quarterback sort of gets credit for the yards, but it's really receivers that were kind of making those, making those plays in college. And I feel like Brady Manick was sort of saving the offense a lot last year in terms of just timely jump shots, timely deep threes, unlikable plays at the end of the shot clock. And, you know, I think all year, you know, number one, I think, I think Baco's really working. He hasn't been healthy all year. He might be the healthiest he's been now. Um, But, you know, I, I think him touching it, he's such a good passer and decision maker. You know, he, re- I mean, he's really an exceptional player and uh, I'd love to see him be even more involved than where he is. Um, I, I think Carolina has so many guys that can score it in a lot of different ways. Like you don't, you don't go to Carolina unless you can score. Um, but it does seem like the offense sort of gets bogged down between really, really Kayla Love often. And he's an exceptional offensive player too. But I just think there's ways that everyone can be involved in the offense and everyone can be a threat with the way that they can play. And they only seem to get there when they're getting out in transition. Um, and they've been in transition, I believe, less this year than a year ago. Absolutely. And this is a crazy stat. Uh, credit to Brandon Marks at The Athletic. But no – preseason number one team has ever missed the NCAA tournament since it expanded in 1984, 1985. And as we know, this North Carolina team was ranked number one in the preseason. And right now they would still be an NCAA tournament team, but they have two really big home games coming up against Clemson and Miami. Both of those teams are going to be likely tournament teams out of the ACC. So Carolina, they definitely have some work to do, but another big man I wanted to mention is Oscar Shibway from Kentucky and the Wildcats. They had a tough loss last night 
to Arkansas. And what's crazy to me, coach, when I watch Kentucky and more specifically when I watch Oscar Shibway, is this guy is the first reigning national player of the year to return to school after winning the award since Tyler Hansborough in 2009. And last night we're watching Kentucky and it's clear to me that this guy, as great of a player as he is, he was a clear liability on the defensive side of the side of the floor. Arkansas was just running pick and roll at him again and again and again, and it kept on working. And I never thought we could even live in a world where the defending reigning national player of the year is just a clear liability. And with this Kentucky team, we know that John Calipari has had a little bit of trouble sorting out the right lineup, the right rotation. They were also missing severe Wheeler last night. So uh, Casey Wallace, the freshman had to play a big chunk of the minutes at point guard. And it's crazy with Kentucky because it finally looked like they turned a corner after starting off the season so poorly. They had some big wins. It started off going on the road and shocking a Tennessee team. That was right after they had just an embarrassing home loss to South Carolina. And when I watched Kentucky, especially like during the games they won also, yeah, they won, but they still haven't necessarily looked like that Kentucky team that we think they could get to when they're sealing is at their highest. So when you have a player like Shibwe and everything that he's accomplished, but he just has a clear weakness that other coaches are really just starting to realize and just attack it as the coach, like, how do you adjust to that? How do you put him in the best position to succeed knowing that, okay, the book is kind of out on him, or do you have to adjust his role? Like I, that's a conversation we've had about Shibwe, like as great of a player as he is, sometimes it just feels like he's an elite role player and other coaches could catch on to that. Yeah, I mean, number one, you know, Musselman had a great game plan last night. He's got an offensive system in place where he can exploit that. And not every coach you're going to play against has an offensive system that has bigs like the Mitchell twins who can kind of pick and pop and play in that 15 role. So I think some of his Arkansas is just a tough matchup for them. Arkansas also has also has great size with Anthony Black playing the point guard spot. So usually Kentucky, their advantage with, with Case Wallace playing the point guard spot is that they have great size. Arkansas actually has the ability to negate that because they have great size. And Arkansas has great players. You know, Anthony Black's going to be a lottery pick. Um, Council's going to be going to be a first-round pick as well. I mean, these guys are exceptional players that they have on Arkansas' side of it, even though they've had injuries through the year. Musselman's just done a great job of building that building that up. You know, I think the first thing you do is you you challenge your players to do it better. So you go to Shibway and you say, look, you've got to get up in this pick and roll. You've got to get down in this pick and roll. Wherever their pick and roll coverage is going to be, you got to do it better. you got to do it harder. Right. One's better. Second's harder. Right. Like just knowing where you got to be at and let's just do it, be it, do it harder and be, be more aggressive. You know, the reality of it is if he's getting exploited in the pick and roll, um, his job as a defender is actually to stop the ball. It's the other three defenders job to help him on the roll. So if they're picking and popping and he's stopping the ball and that ball is coming out, it's not really his responsibility to have to get back to both. He should be having help from someone else to be able to get there. So sometimes it can be a little misleading with them being able to exploit him in the pick and roll because his only job is to stop the ball. And then he shouldn't even be thinking about having to get back until after the pass comes out. Um, when I looked at it, I thought Kentucky defense, the other three guys weren't helping him out. You know, they weren't flying around nearly enough. And so he's kind of getting caught in, in having a guard to having to stop the ball, um, which is hard to do um, and get back to his guy. And so what happens is when you don't have great, when you don't have great help like that, the big who has to stop the ball gets a little nervous and now he starts giving up layups because he's trying to get back to the pick and pop, and that kind of goes back and forth. So it's really about having trust in your defense. And Musselman, again, did a great job of being able to really um, exploit him and make him have to make those kind of decisions on the perimeter over and over and over again. The other thing that it does is when he's on the perimeter and the shot goes up, 
it takes away a great defensive rebounder for Kentucky. And so now the other guys have to kind of get involved there in the defensive rebounding. So, you know, sometimes you give credit to the other coach, great job, great game plan. The question is, can other coaches go out there and exploit that? You know, we're going to see that certainly, you know, once you, once, once you lose a certain way in a conference play, the next team or next couple of teams are going to try to find ways to exploit that. Arkansas had a great night. They did an amazing job doing that. I think we have to understand this Kentucky team. They're just not what we're used to seeing, but I still think they're a good college basketball team that, that can win because they have some advantages. They're just not like what we're used to seeing with Anthony Davis and John Wall and some of these guys that can really get up and down, but it's still a very good college basketball team. Absolutely. And one thing that really stood out to me about Arkansas is we know like the injuries they've suffered, right? Nick Smith, the word is he could be coming back soon, but that's a projected lottery pick. Also Trevon Brazil, another guy that probably would have been a first round pick if it wasn't for the injury. And their other top three guys in black council and Devo Davis, all three of those guys are the three leading minutes played leaders in the SEC. Those three guys have played the most minutes in the SEC. And I just love how with Arkansas and Coach Musk, there's never an excuse. They have started off really slow in SEC play over the course of the last few years. This year, they haven't really found that role yet, but they're dealing with injuries. I think it could be coming. And uh, when you look at the SEC, we've been so used to Kentucky, as you said, with John Wall and Anthony Davis doing a really good job at the top of the conference, just consistently winning year after year after year. And it's looking like they could have some legit competition. That's a conversation we've had a lot on this show also, like just how much of a conference as a conference has uh, the SEC improved over the course of the last few years. They're really starting to take basketball a little bit more seriously. But one last thought on Kentucky I had, and Shibwe is a part of it when you look at the expectations and what we're used to as well. But do you see a world where either UNC or Kentucky misses the NCAA tournament? I mentioned that no other uh, – preseason ranked number one team has ever missed the NCAA tournament since since it expanded and right now these teams would be in but you know the more you lose especially this time of year you're going to get closer and closer to the bubble and there are times when I watch other teams on the bubble I mentioned that I watched Nevada last night I've watched a lot of Oklahoma State they're a team right there square on the bubble they have a big game tonight against Texas Tech it feels like to me at times like the urgency for those other teams could be greater and I know like we've really caught North Carolina at a poor time. They're playing their worst basketball of the season, losing three games in a row. That game against Wake Forest wasn't even particularly close last night. But do you see a world where these teams can miss the NCAA tournament? Like, what are your realistic expectations for UNC and Kentucky going forward? Yeah, you know, do I think that they're NCAA-worthy teams at the end of the day? I do think that they are. Um, I think it's going to be close, you know, I mean, I think they've got to obviously play much better basketball, be much be much more consistent. But when you start looking at the numbers, you know, the A-10 this year will be a one-bid league. Um, maybe the Mountain West will have multiple bids. We talked a little bit about that. The West Coast Conference have multiple bids. It really starts to come down to will these mid-major leagues um, have multiple bids. And traditionally, that's not the case. Um, and when I look at the mid-major teams across the country – I don't think that all these leagues have three teams that are going to get in. I think it's going to settle in at one or two. And so now it's like, well, who's the best of the rest? And you're going to start comparing Carolina to, you know, the seventh best team in the big 12 or the big 10, you know? Um, and so I do think they're going to ultimately get in. Um, they could be in that 12, 12 game or whatever it is. Um, and I, I would think that both those teams could be particularly Carolina. I think they could be particularly dangerous, um, a lot of veterans, a lot of veterans who 
played together and they've been really good in big moments. Um, so I think they're particularly dangerous because they can really turn the light on Kentucky. I, I think it's going to be interesting because I just don't see them having the pop that they've had in the past, especially in transition. Um, where can, you know, Carolina can kind of get on a scoring run and, and dominate a game or two. I don't see Kentucky having that kind of pop offensively. And so they've got to have a lot of things go right. They've got to play really good offense and be smart with it and move the ball the right way. They've got to be able to defend so they can get out and play a little bit. So um, I think the lack of uh, a second or third gear for Kentucky is more concerning than for a team like Carolina. Carolina just has to have to get back on the right on the winning track. I think they have the ability to have some pop and, and still make some noise. Changing subjects here. I know you uh, were at Marquette this past weekend for National Marquette Day. They had a big win over Butler. Unfortunately, they uh, suffered a loss last night to UConn. That was a tough spot. That was in Connecticut. The Huskies really needed that one. But I wanted to ask you, like, what was your experience at Marquette like being around the team? We know uh, you've worked a lot with Coach Smart in the past. But when you watch this Marquette team, what are the things that stand out to you? What do they do well? And one thing I noticed watching the game last night and really throughout the course of the season is a few things. One, Tyler Kolick, he's one of my favorite guards in the country. I think he's starting to make a legitimate case for Big East Player of the Year, just the way he's able to lead that Marquette team and just consistently come to the floor and play his best basketball. But in order for this Marquette team to be at their best, Cam Jones is a key. And last night he struggled. He only finished the game with five points, shot two of six from the floor, only one of five from three. That's one thing with this Marquette team to me that really stands out. In order for them to be at their best, they're going to need Cam Jones to make shots. But I was curious uh, for some of your thoughts on on uh, the trip while you were there and uh, what stands out to you when you watch this Marquette team. Well, you know, Coach you know, Shaka Smart has the biggest, has the best buy-in of any coach in any venue. Um, when you go into that home environment, I mean, they have the deflections, the kill zones, they have everything that he's preaching up on the, up on the boards as the game is going on. So he has great buy-in and great control over that environment. Everyone is bought into their team and the little details that it takes for it to be really good. So that jumps out at me. And then when you watch them play, I, I love their connectivity. They're, they're just really connected as a group. They know what it takes to win. They know what they need to do. They trust each other. Um, and then when you go to the floor, their ability to pass the ball, you know, UConn did a great job last night eliminating their ability to pass, but they're one of the better passing teams in the way that they move the ball and they move it with purpose. You know, you'll watch a lot of teams play and they sort of move it as fluff. And then they go into a ball screen, go into their set and they move it with purpose. Um, their guys take aggressive shots. They're aggressive offensively. They cut with violence. Those things are really, really important to do offensively. And I think that's why they've been able to have so much success because they play as such a complete unit. And Cam Jones might be the leading scorer. Tyler Kolick might be the, be the leading scorer. Prosper might be the leading scorer. I mean, they can really move it around who scores the ball. Um, and then I actually think defensively, they're sort of underrated. Their ability to turn you over because of how they switch and how they move and because they connect so well, you know, allows them to really get out in transition. UConn did a great job last night of just taking care of the basketball for the most part and not allowing them to be able to turn those into easy baskets. Um, you know, sometimes you shake your hand and say, man, it was just UConn tonight. They really play really well. Um, but, you know, Marquette's climbed to this ranking because they've been one of the best teams in the country year in and year out. When you look at um, the teams they've lost to, you know, Purdue, UConn, Xavier, they've lost their very good teams. And for the most part, they've been in every single game. Um, you know, I think they're going to continue to get better. Um, but obviously they now have eyes on them because they're, you know, they're a top 10 team in the country. 
Absolutely. And a lot of those games came on the road too. not easy yeah. places to play, especially uh, during conference play. I wanted to go back to uh, one thing you mentioned when we were talking about UNC and Kentucky and their tournament chances. And you said, you know, the A-10, it's probably going to be a one bid week. The American Athletic Conference besides Houston, maybe Memphis is looking in right now, but that could change. Like there aren't a ton of great multi-bid mid-major leagues out there. But then you look at the Mountain West and the WCC out in the West Coast, and I actually watched the whole Gonzaga-St. Mary's game on Saturday night, and that was one of the better games I've watched all season. And it was crazy because St. Mary's, they really didn't play great in the first half. Logan Johnson, one of their better guards, he was just off. He airballed a couple shots. There was something uh, wasn't his night. Aid Mahaney, the freshman, who really took over the game in the end, but he didn't start off the game great. And watching that game, it really hit me like, okay, I don't know if this is going to be a thing for sure for certain going forward, but just this year and this year alone, St. Mary's is the best team in the WCC, in my opinion. And they're also the team that's most likely to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. And I know that's crazy considering Gonzaga and their pedigree. They have had so much success in the NCAA tournament over the course of the last decade. I mean, they have made Sweet 16 after Sweet 16 after Sweet 16 yeah. at least over the course of the last five, six years. But they don't have a Jalen Suggs or a Chet Holmgren on this team. As good as Drew Timmy was, even he was having trouble late in that game. And I think for a lot of college basketball fans, they acknowledge St. Mary's and they know that Randy Bennett is a really good coach. But I don't think people realize like just how good of a coach he is. They remind me almost a little bit of the West Coast version of Virginia, especially last year, just defending with toughness. They could score it a little bit, and they're just so well coached. So uh, when you watch St. Mary's, what stands out to you? And, like, big picture in the sport, like, do you think they get enough recognition for just how good of a coach Randy Bennett is? He's been there a long time, by the way. He's been their coach since 2000, yeah. a long time. <laughs> yeah, I know there's there's only a few coaches that I really study in the offseason, and Randy Bennett is routinely one of them. Um, his ability to stay ahead of the curve on what to do on the offensive side of the floor in particular, um, and then his ability to change with the kind of players that he has. You know, some years he's had two, two really dominant bigs. He's thrown the ball in a ton. Other years he's had really dominant point guards. He's moved it in different ways. And, you know, he's just a, you know, he's a great basketball coach who has multiple ways of attacking you, and he'll change as his team changes through the years. Um, you know, one of the things talking to a few guys on the West coast that are coached against Gonzaga a lot, um, you know, they haven't really changed that much in the last few years. Their offense is pretty much the same as it's been. I mean, they're doing a lot of things that are similar and there's definitely a feel on the West coast the guys that play against them, that there's a way to guard them. Um, that, you know, through the years of being beat with that system, people are starting to kind of figure it out some. Um, and so you look at a team like St. Mary's who's had success against them in a lot of regards and who really they've been head to head for a lot of years. So this isn't the first year that it's been Gonzaga St. Mary's. I mean, they've kind of gone back and forth over the last few years. Um, I think he's a really underrated coach. Um, obviously, I think he's one of the better coaches in the country. I think they're definitely a, a team to watch out for uh, in the NCAA tournament. It always comes down to your bidding you know, where they're going to, where they're going to end up at in their tournament bid. I feel like they've had some years where they've kind of been, been, been screwed with some of the bid, with the, some of the bids and they've had to play, you know, a little, a team that was kind of hot at the time coming in. Um, but I like their team. I love how tough they always play really tough on the glass, really tough guarding the basketball. They have a lot of components 
of a team that can make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. But again, the the, the tournament bids, it, that's where everything is. Um, I like their team, and uh, you know it's going to be a war every time they play Gonzaga, and, that, and that's something that we should all be looking forward to. Yeah, and that was interesting also for me. Like last year, they had a really good year. They actually played Indiana in the round of 64, the first round. They blew them out, and then they had some trouble against UCLA in the next round. But Randy Bennett, he's only been to one Sweet 16 uh, throughout his coaching career. I think he's going to maybe get there again this year. That's how I'm impressed uh, I am with them. And even this kid, Aiden Mahaney, like he just legitimately took over the game. Yeah in the second half, which was really, really impressive. Um, A couple other teams I wanted to run by you. I watched a little bit of Michigan State last night. They had a nice win over Maryland, 63-58. to 58. And I know that Tom Izzo is caught in some heat from his fan base, especially, which is something you rarely see. But he didn't do a lot in the transfer portal this offseason. I think that, not that that's necessarily a good thing, but I do think Michigan State had enough pieces to be a really good team, at least when they're healthy on the floor. And they've really struggled with injuries, but they find a way to beat a really good Maryland team. And one thing I've noticed uh, throughout the season in the Big Ten particularly is I'm having some trouble separating these teams. Like in most other conferences this year, especially like I have a pretty good idea of labeling like, okay, who are the teams at the top tier? Who are the teams at the middle tier? And who are the teams at the bottom tier? But then when you look at the Big Ten right now, you have Purdue. They're clearly the team to beat at the top. Minnesota they've kind of established themselves as the clear team to beat or the clear team at the bottom. But then you have so many other teams that are right on the fringe of NCAA tournament contention. Maybe they're in and Michigan state is a team. I really like, I think their trio of guards, Tyson Walker, AJ Hogard, and Jaden Akins. I think those three guys can make plays in March. They have Malik Hall and Joey Hauser who could stretch the floor at the four spots. Soko has really come on as a big And I think Michigan State is a team. I know they aren't aesthetically pleasing sometimes when you watch them. Like they played Rutgers at Madison Square Garden on Saturday. And that was just a ugly, low scoring rock fight kind of a game. But I think Michigan State is a team that uh, people should be talking about more. And when you look at the Big Ten overall, like what stands out to you about the league? Are there any teams that might be a little bit off the radar that you're eyeing right now? Well, I too like Jaden Atkins. I think he's, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's more healthy now than he was at the beginning of the year. And sometimes it takes time to get into a rhythm. Um, I learned a long time ago to never bet against a Tom Izzo coach team because just when you think they don't have enough, they have just enough to to get into a fight and win it. Um, and the reality is his style of play bodes well in a tournament setting. So physical, so many play calls. He, he gives his best players tons of confidence to go and make plays. You know, I had a chance to work with Jay Atkins some this summer at Chris Paul camp, and I was amazed at his toughness. You know, when you're there amongst the very best, you 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 learn pretty quickly who, who's real and who's fake. And over the three days there, he was as impressive as anyone there because of his toughness. And I realized that day – the difference between Michigan State guys and everybody else. And a lot of good players we've talked about on this pod in particular were there. And Jay Natkins went on the final day and was the one-on-one champion of that group and and was determined to win and determined to play with toughness when some of the guys in that in that grouping were, were ready to get home. And that's what makes a Michigan State guy different. They're going to compete every day. And on a day where you're trying to consider it, They've already made a plan to, to whoop your ass. And and so I think that's what makes it tough for Michigan State guys is that, you know, they've had some injuries. They've struggled a little bit through the course of the year. 
I don't think anybody wants to play them. And I think Jaden Atkins can really have a great end of the season here. I'm just a big fan of his mentality and his ability to play. I agree 100%. He came off the bench last year. He didn't play a ton, but he was their seventh, eighth man, giving them some consistent offense. And he really stood out to me every time I watched him as a freshman. And he's taken the leaps uh, forward, especially when he's healthy as a sophomore. Uh, That's interesting that you worked with him because I'm a big fan of his game as well. And it feels like he's shooting over 40% for three this year. And it feels like every time he shoots the ball, it feels like it's going in. But um, any other teams in the Big Ten that stand out to you? I know we've spoken a lot about Penn yeah. State. They have a big game tonight against Wisconsin. That is a game between two teams just square on the bubble. One team I'll throw at you, I don't know if you had any thoughts on them, is Ohio State. And they're such an interesting team to me because Chris Holman, I think he's done a really good job there since he arrived uh, five years ago in Columbus. But this year, they've hit a little bit of a wall. They've actually lost nine out of their last 10 games, but they've been right there in just about each and every one of them. They have a future NBA lottery pick in Bryce Sensible. I'm really impressed with him every time I watch him on the floor. And it's crazy because as bad as things are right now for the Buckeyes, they still have a chance. They still have plenty of more games to get back into tournament contention. Uh, when you have a team like that, and I know we struggled, or we spoke a little bit about this, uh, about North Carolina and Kentucky teams that are struggling. But when you look at Ohio State, they are a little bit worse than that. They're clearly out of yeah. tournament contention right now. When you watch Ohio State, do you view them as a team that could get things turned back around? And when you're when you look at Chris Holman, you know he's done a really good job. But I feel like at times, especially with that fan base, they expect big things. Uh, I feel like at times they don't realize like just how good they have it. And I've seen it so many times with the coaching industry. Like fans don't realize how good they have it. And then when they let the guy go, it's even worse. And you want to do that at all costs. Chris has done a great job um, at Ohio State. Uh, They're obviously having a tough go about it right now. But he's done a great job there. And, you know, sometimes you just you have a group of guys you think are going to achieve. And sometimes you just, you know, it's just a bad mix of players, a bad mix of strategy. Um, you know, when I watch them play, I obviously see the frustration that Chris is feeling. Um, and his teams are usually so solid across the board. You know, I would always say to my friends, like, I don't know how they win because when you watch them, they're just so solid. You know, I, I never looked at his teams and said, man, he does this one thing better than anything else. You know, they were just seven and eights across the board and like, just give you no weaknesses. You know what I mean? And and I say that in, with with credit, that there wasn't a way to you couldn't find a way to beat them, and they weren't going to beat themselves. And I think that's a true mark of a of a really good head coach that has the ability to be able to do that. And this year, you know, they just haven't had that big they haven't that, had that big a margin of error. Um, and they've made some mistakes, and they've been punished for those mistakes, and that can happen. You know, one of the things that that I think you know are we'll look back on. You know, you hit the stat a little bit earlier um, about a team being picked number one and then not making the NCAA tournament or, you know, a team like like Ohio State, who's been dominant in the, in the Big Ten for a lot of years. And now they're at the bottom. The transfer portal affects a lot of this. And that's a that's a huge change in the market. You know, you look at the teams above them, Penn State, tons of transfers, Maryland, tons of transfers, um, you know, uh, Illinois, tons of transfers, Rutgers, tons of transfers, Indiana, ton of transfers. That affects it. You know, if you're running a race, it's not always bad to be second behind the guy running the fastest with 100 meters left because I can now conserve my energy and I can pass him at the very end. And so 
a lot of these teams are looking at the teams that are above them and saying, you know, well, how can I be better than Ohio State? How can I be better than this team? And now I get to go in the portal and bring in a center that's better than your center because that center isn't going to go to Ohio State because you've got a, you've got a starting center there, right? And maybe that kid wants to play in a Big Ten. So now I can go and I can recruit that guy that you can't even get in the portal. Um, and so sometimes a team that has everyone coming back and everything seems great on paper, you know, if you're a guy finishing, you're just behind them, I can leapfrog them by going out and actually just actively recruiting someone that's better than them. That's not a freshman that has experience that's done it in college basketball. So I think you're going to see some of this, you know, I was actually talking to a coach the other day, similar situation, ton of guys, ton of players back, really talented freshmen and people just kind of leapfrogged them. And I think that's just going to happen some. And so I think the ability to be active in the portal you know, with active minutes for guys to come in and play, plays a, plays a pretty big role. Um, and when you look at these rosters and, you know, Ohio State just didn't have a chance to do a ton of that stuff in the portal. They had really good players there. And, uh, you know, but they've certainly, certainly through the years, have earned the right to to be one of the better teams in the Big Ten. And they're not that far away as people feel. I mean, 10 out of the last 11, you know, they're just they just got a bad mix right now. Yeah, and when you play in a league like the Big Ten, it's almost like every conference win is just going to move the needle and help you out. Ohio State. Every 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 game is coming down to to one or two possessions. <laughs> and yeah. So, you know, in some years you get every one of those things that fall in your favor, and some years you get none of them that fall in your favor. They're in a bad stretch of it right now. I think the most concerning thing with Ohio State for me is just how frustrated they've played. Um, and that is a sign that pressure is sort of mounting, and I do think the job of a program – is to make sure the players don't feel that pressure that they can go out there and continue to play free. And I'm sure they'll get back on track here. I mean, don't let them win two games in the conference tournament in a row. I mean, don't let that happen, you know, because that kind of team, the kind of pride that that, that Chris has, they can all of a sudden get on a little bit of a run here and, and make it kind of interesting. Absolutely. Coach, before I let you go, we witnessed basketball history last night in the NBA, LeBron James breaking a Kareem scoring record. I know you're a big LeBron guy. And for me, it's so interesting because when I really first started getting into basketball and really first realized like just how good LeBron was, that's when he was in the peak of his powers in Miami. I remember the back end of his Cleveland years and just how good he was. But I wanted to ask you, as someone who's been in this sport for such a long time, what was your perspective like of seeing LeBron when he was in high school, when he first got to the NBA, and the fact that he really has done a great job of living up to these lofty expectations that were set for him. And when you compare him to some of the other all-time greats, what really stands out to you and what exactly does he do so well? Well, I think number one, um, I think, has there ever been a player that's come in with that level of expectation who reached every level of that expectation? You know, it's sort of like, you know, this guy is going to be, I remember the chosen one, he's going to be the best player in the history of, of basketball. And he's going to be in the top tier of best players in the history of basketball. He's going to be a leading scorer and probably score 40,000 points in the NBA. Be the first person to ever do that. Um, and so I think as a, as, a, as a fan, it's amazing to watch someone who, who just achieved. at the. I mean, we gave him the loftiest of expectations imaginable. And he's met that, he's met that every single time. Um, and so I always say, he, I said last night, he never disappoints. Um, but when I think about LeBron James, I think about the school that he opened. I think about the way he fathers his children. I think about the way that he's not afraid to talk about his up, his upbringing, 
um, and how he grew up, but also not allowing that to be a detriment to who he is. You know, sometimes guys talk about how they grew up and they hang on to that even when they're successful. Um, I love the way that he's created a business enterprise amongst himself. I think he's changed the conversation about how black men see themselves. I think he's changed the conversation about how the world sees black men in terms of business and in parenting. I'm just a really big fan of what he's done for us. He's changed the mentality. You know, Jordan started this, you know, athlete, businessman, Michael, Magic Johnson did the same thing. LeBron took it to a whole nother level going into any and everything to show how you can really be wealthy in this business from an agency to clothes to whatever, whatever all the stuff that he does. Um, so when I think about LeBron James, I think he's obviously the best team player in the history of basketball, period. His energy, what he gives to his team, all those things. But I think what he's, what he's meant to our world, what he's meant to black men in terms of being an example, I just think he's, a, he's an exceptional human being. And I think he's just beginning. And he's been able to use basketball as a tool to show the world what he can do, but he's been able to take it and advance it and change the lives of many. Um, the school that he has, all those kids go to college, education in, in minority neighborhoods is one of the, one of the the biggest things that we don't do in this country. He took that on and statistics have proven that changes the lives of everyone. You know, if your parents went to college and you go to college and so on and so forth, his impact on this, on this world, I I don't think will be felt for years to come. But I do think in our lifetime, we'll get a chance to really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's like that ripple effect that he's created. Um, big LeBron fan, um, not just for the basketball stuff, but for the impact he's made on our world. Definitely. And uh, the impact he's made on and off the court, it's been incredible, very apparent to me. And I'm, I honestly feel lucky that I got the chance to witness him in just the peak of his powers and everything he's done on the basketball court. But Coach Christian, I wanted to say again, thank you so much for joining us here on College Hoops Daily. It's always great having you. And uh, we're just getting closer and closer to the tournament. Really looking forward to uh, having you on talk more basketball. Always. Thanks so much. Thank you.